In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading, which I've already read. You may be seated. Last week, Jesus spoke to us about not worrying about the basic essentials of this life. Food, drink, and clothing. Now, even though no human being can long survive without any of these things, Jesus reminded them that we do not need to worry about them. He says the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. With these words, Jesus seeks to lift our eyes from the serious concerns of this life to what is even more important, that is, his kingdom and his righteousness. Where our heart is, that is where our treasure is. If our heart is set on any earthly thing, that thing becomes the God in which we trust. And if this pandemic has shown us anything, there is a strong temptation to set our hearts on our earthly lives. The flesh is more interested in almost anything else is more interested in self-preservation, which is really nothing more than a kind of self-justification. It usually works itself out like this. God has given me my life, and so now it is up to me to take care of it, to do everything I can to preserve it. The problem with self-justification should be blatantly obvious. That's the exact problem of the Pharisee and the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He wanted to show everyone, including God, that he was really good and that he deserved eternal life. This is a works-based theology. The problem specifically with the idea that I must safeguard my own life is that it neglects to take Jesus' words into account. Your heavenly Father already knows what you need even before you ask him. And that brings us to, to, to today's gospel reading. The Holy Spirit, working through St. Luke, does a marvelous job in setting up for us a dramatic clash of two heavyweights battling it out for a championship. In one corner, you have the only begotten Son of God, the Lord of life, Jesus of Nazareth, standing at a measly five foot ten, give or take. And he's fresh off a bout with the illness of a Roman centurion servant, whom he defeated with just one knockout blow. He has a following, the twelve. And many who had seen the miracles that he performed up to this point, they were full of life, and they are certainly excited about the match of the day. In the other corner, the undefeated doctor of destruction, death himself. His followers are a grim bunch, silent sobs from the crowds and loud wails from a widow are following behind death who is laying on a funeral bier, a kind of open casket the ancients used and it's the only son of this widow. I suppose you'll have to forgive my light-hearted approach to the text. It fires my imagination probably more than any other miracle in all of the Gospels. But 
The point still stands. By all accounts, this is a massive collision and battle between two opposite and opposing forces that St. Luke lays before us. And by all accounts, at least up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus should lose this match. Healing and feeding miracles are great, but what can Jesus do in the face of death? Well, this is where I need you to suspend your knowledge of the broader story just for a moment to really get an impact of what we're seeing. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus had done a lot of teaching and a lot of healing, but he had not yet faced anyone who had died. Undoubtedly, his followers wondered what was, in fact, the full extent of Jesus' power. I can imagine also that Jesus felt a personal sense of connection and loss in this encounter. St. Luke emphasizes for us that this young man who had died was the only son of a widow. Surely, Jesus would have seen in this widow a picture of his own mother, Mary. She had been told years ago by St. Simeon that she too would be pierced through her soul over the death of her own son. So when Hebrews tells us that Jesus knows our suffering and that he's tempted in every way that we were, it's really telling the truth. Jesus knew suffering from experience. We're reasonably, reasonably certain that Joseph was dead by this point in Jesus' ministry. But we also see the sorrow that so often surrounded Jesus from those whom he encountered. Jesus knew suffering, and Isaiah called him the man of sorrows. So what will Jesus do? Out of his compassion, Jesus comes up to the mother and tells her, Do not weep. This is not like when we tell our kids not to cry after they've fallen off their bikes. Not even close. Those words are just words to kind of get the child consoled a little bit. But when Jesus says this thing, he shows us that he knows exactly what her grief is and what he must do to put it to an end. He goes up and he touches the beer. The ceremonial laws of Leviticus tell us that this should have made Jesus unclean right then and there. To come into contact with a dead body would have made it so that he would not be able to enter into the temple without going through a rather lengthy process of cleansing so that he could be ritually cleansed again and thus enter into the worship life of the temple. But Jesus is not afraid of death. He comes up and he touches the beer and the pallbearers stop. Death is literally stopped in his tracks. Now, do you remember the very first handshake that you got or the first hug that you gave after the lockdown was serious and after it had passed? Were you nervous that you might get sick or worse, that you would get someone else sick? Jesus here is undeterred. 
He will not let death stop him from comforting this woman. And then Jesus does something rather unexpected, rather impossible. He speaks to the dead man, not like we might speak over the body of a deceased loved one at a funeral. Jesus actually speaks to the man, and he gives him a command. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Look here at the power of Jesus' word. This is the same God who by his word calmed a storm, and who by his word brought the world and everything in it into being. It is worth noting that Jesus addressed this young man directly. It's the same with Lazarus in John chapter 11 when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, come out of the tomb. Had he not specifically addressed this young man or Lazarus in John 11, can you imagine what that word of Jesus would have done to a graveyard full of dead people? You see, Jesus is not afraid of death because he knows that it is his job to defeat death. You might say, well, why not raise the dead right then and there? Why doesn't Jesus stop our loved ones from dying? Dear child, this is but a down payment on what Jesus will do. Do you remember that detail of Jesus touching the funeral bier? Jesus not only took on the uncleanness, but he also took on the young man's death. In other words, in restoring this man to life, Jesus was signing his own death warrant in his own blood. He was vowing to take this man's place in the grave in the same way that he vows to take our place in the grave. This is why the sacramental nature of our theology is so important as Lutheran Christians. You have been baptized. At this altar, you've received the very body and blood of Jesus. Through these very physical means, your Lord Christ comes and he puts your death to a halt. Jesus says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. People loved by God, Jesus can and he does raise the dead by his death he has taken away the sting of death he has died your death and by the power that brought him to life again he will raise you up from the dead is this not the central pillar of the christian faith we believe that right now eternal life is our possession and we confess in the creed that we believe that jesus is raised from the dead and that on the last day he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. And if that is the case, what do we have to be afraid of? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all good things? Who shall separate us 
from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or danger or coronaviruses? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as at name, the crucified and risen God has visited you, his people. And where Christ is, Their death has no power. Do not weep. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.